Hello, and welcome to the Bear Facts on Health. I'm your host, WGN medical reporter, Dina Bear. This is the podcast that aims to help you take care of your body physically and mentally. I'll give you the facts and up-to-date research on cutting-edge medical treatments, technological advancements helping people heal, tips for diagnosing disease with ease, and advice on exercise and healthy eating. With so much noise and misinformation in the digital space, we aim to help you make informed decisions about your health. And today we are focusing on mental health. We're talking about surviving post-incarceration as it relates to our former governor, Rod Blagojevich, pardoned by President Donald Trump. Dr. Angela Moss, who is a nurse practitioner with Rush College of Nursing, works with previously incarcerated men and women at a supportive transitional housing organization called St. Leonard's. And she's here to talk about her experience and how that might reflect on Rod Blagojevich after eight years in federal prison. So thank you so much for the work that you do for people right here in our city and state and for joining us with your expertise today. Thank you for having me. So clearly, Rod Blagojevich is a a different inmate than many. But when you heard about his release and heard some of the words he was saying, you thought to yourself, wow, these are similar themes. Yes. One of the big things that struck me was... um, his renewed sense and or a sense of advocacy, his desire to help and give back. Um, that's something that I typically see in uh, my patient population, men and women who've been incarcerated for a long period of time. Um, it's very common for people to come out and want to give back, be part of, um, to help other people. And so it didn't surprise me to hear him have a renewed sense of purpose, if you will. And in that, as Rod Blagojevich was talking about it, he talked about the criminal justice system and how it's broken and how it's racist. So you could hear a little bit of anger in there, but you could also hear a new purpose. Let's listen. It's a broken criminal justice system, and it's an unfair criminal justice system. It's a, it's a criminal justice system with too many people who have too much power, who don't have any accountability, and they could railroad people, and put innocent people in prison, and they are, generally speaking, uh, virtually always prone to over-sentence people. It's a criminal justice system that's not only broken, but it's also racist. And I saw how it affects people of color and how on cases with nonviolent first offender drug offenders that they're made to do decades of prison time for things, for mistakes that they made, wrongs they committed, that any fair-minded society would not allow. And Rob, so you said I'll, I'll have more to say later. You said things yeah. happened for a reason. Do you believe this happened for a reason? Yes, I do. How so? I, I just believe that uh, sometimes out of evil, you can good things can happen. And I think that the wickedness and evil that was done to me and to my family can be turned to good. And Dr. Moss, let's address that piece by piece, because some of the things he was talking about in the system and the system being broken is something that you see every day with inmates here in Illinois. For sure. There's no question that there is uh, an unfair focus, if you will, on um, people of color, minority groups who um, are primarily populating the prison systems in the United States. And um, so when you think about feelings of injustice, 
um, it's easy to see how people might feel marginalized by being focused to be in prison, targeted, if you will. And yet in your work, over and over again, you see the fact that even though people are angry and even though people have a sense of injustice, which Rod Blagojevich feels as well, that he calls himself a freed political prisoner, you still see them turning that into something positive. Yeah, it's one of the most remarkable things I've seen. So um, people will harbor a great sense of anger and injustice at the indignities they've suffered and and as being incarcerated. But one of the really interesting things is that a lot of times some of that anger, people are able to set that aside and still... uh, focus on doing good for others. So that sense of that spirit of advocacy and will to help other people that's born from their horrible experiences um, kind of overshadows and shines above and beyond this sense of anger. So what specifically do you see people doing? Are they going back to prison to to visit people and inspire them? Are they working at a greater level? Yeah. So a lot of the men and women I work with, they get involved in advocacy at every level. So state levels, city organizations. Um, One of the big examples that I'm that's calling that I'm thinking of first is um, a lot of I'll hear a lot of the men say that, well, I think that I fell into a life of crime or I did whatever I did that caused me to be incarcerated in the first place because I didn't have a strong uh, adult figure in my life. And so they have chosen to dedicate their lives to being um, their advocates for kids, like inner city kids, for example, and volunteering for Boys Hope, Girls Hope, and doing all kinds of things with younger generations to help prevent them from um, perhaps making some of the same mistakes that they did. It's so interesting to me how when they come out, they focus on the future, but yet while someone is behind bars, the whole key is to not think about the future, live life one day at a time. And you say that that is a common coping mechanism. Rob Blagojevich talked about it right when he was released from federal prison. When you're in a place like I was for as long as I was, you discipline yourself in your mind and you you don't let yourself think about the things that you really want to think about because it, it makes it harder. And so I'd never really allowed myself to indulge into thoughts about what it might be like if I ultimately was able to get back home. Once in a while, because you're human and not really strong, you do it. I imagine life at home with my wife and children. And um, But mostly you discipline yourself. You just take one day at a time. You stay focused on the things you have to do. And, and you, make, you, you make goals for yourself every day to get through each day. And do you find that others feel the same way? And is that something that is important for survival? Yes, that's absolutely something that I've seen in the men and women that I work with who've been incarcerated. So most of the men and women that I work with have been incarcerated for decades. So on average, 25, 30 years. Um, And many of them will say that their, um, their trick or their key to survival in while incarcerated is to focus on putting just putting one foot in front of the other, focus on the day-to-day. And it's kind of a natural humanistic sort of coping mechanism to sort of turn inward and not think about some of the more common day-to-day things that the average person would think about. 
a lot of the focus of some of the mindfulness training and yoga training that people that we're trying to push out into the world. And it's trying to get at some of that inward focus for yourself without having to go through the trauma of being incarcerated. So it's something we could all learn by turning inward and and really having that sort of healthy mind. Mm -hmm. And focus on the things that are important to you. So for example, when you're incarcerated, just about everything's removed from your immediate life. And so it forces you to focus on the things that matter most. And so when you think about mindfulness, it's forcing, it's another way to make you think about the things that matter most so that you, you can handle stress and you can make good decisions and things like that. It's also, in addition to strength of mind, strength of body. We saw Rod Blagojevich there in Colorado, clearly had been working out and exercising. And I know that increases endorphins and sort of is, is a coping mechanism as well. Do you see that with other prisoners? You would think, oh, I don't have to look good because I am here behind bars. But it's not about looking good. It's not about looking good. It's about um, filling the time in many ways. Um, but also that endorphin release, I think it helps people feel good. And so, um, it's something that you, and it's also something that you have control over that you can do while you're incarcerated that where some other, it's a choice where many other things you don't have a choice. Let's talk about the control when you come home, because I know that there is a stage, this, this reacclimation, and it can be really challenging for people. Yes. So the, so that's why, yes, the, the time from immediate release, I would say two to three months post-release is a very difficult transition time, even though it's a joyful thing. Um, there's lots of reunions and, you know, in, in most cases, um, and just by virtue of not being in prison anymore, it's a joyful, joyful time, but it's very, very stressful. All transitions in life are stressful. And this is on the top of the list of all the, like, if you think of death of a loved one, marriages, birth, and you think of the most stressful things that can happen in your life, this is probably one of them. So what I see is, um, for example, someone who's incarcerated who might have had been diagnosed with high blood pressure, for example, while they were incarcerated. It's well controlled. It's marching along fine. Blood pressure readings are fine. They are released from prison. Um, and all of a sudden, there's t- nothing else has changed. They're taking the same medication, doing the same things, but their blood pressure kind of goes haywire and high. And that's a reflection of the internal stress that a transition in life can have on your on your health. Because you're coming back to your life, but those who were in your life have moved on in a sense without you, still loving you perhaps, Mm -hmm. but learning to cope without you. Right. And so that's, it's very common. Um, So people will come home and they, they have to renegotiate all of those relationships. Even if um, the, their children, their loved ones are still completely committed and devoted to them, they at the reality of what it's like to be part of their day-to-day life has to be renegotiated because the their family has moved on. They've So I, I'll use the example of, you know, maybe the person used to take out the garbage every day at seven o'clock and now somebody else, because they've been away, has been taking out the garbage. So now when they come back, they can't have the same expectation that they're going to start taking the garbage. They have to renegotiate that. And so those conversations can be difficult. I'm using the garbage as an example, but you apply that to any 
any anything you do in your day-to-day life needs to be renegotiated. Well, Rob Blagojevich said his youngest daughter was eight when he left, and now she says, I need the keys because I can drive a car. Yeah. And so your sense of who you are as a father is really upended. Yes, absolutely. Um, I do think, though, that one of the protective things about human nature is that, again, going back to that sense of hope and advocacy, um, that... Um, People, I I have seen people, when they get out of prison, they take that and apply it to their families, and so they're able to push through and have some of those tough conversations so that they can um, fit back into their family lives and try to reacclimate. It sounds like communication is so critical here, and it's not just for people who may have been previously incarcerated, but you think of military veterans who have served overseas for a a great length of time, and they come back into their families, and how is it that we can best support people who, for whatever reason, are trying to dip their toes back into the life that they loved so much? So that's a great point. And, and and that's why I think about my work at St. Leonard's and um, who are experts in providing social support for formerly incarcerated men and women. But I think of other programs for veterans returning home like that, like the Road Home at Rush is another one. But they have, um, it's important to have that positive reinforcement continuously, um, not only from the family and loved ones, but maybe from other professionals or experts who are expert at helping people make transitions in life. I also think about that from the standpoint of perfect strangers. So how can we all contribute to making life better for people who we may have no idea what they have been through? Yeah. So one of the take-home points that I've learned from working with this uh, group of people is um, checking my biases at the door and um, believing in second chances. And I think that with that framework, if we can approach individuals who've been incarcerated and are trying to turn turn things around and, and come back to society, I think that we as society can welcome them and do our best to provide support for them. And I think the world would be a better place, Dr. Moss. Thank you so much for helping us to put all of this into perspective. Thank you. I hope this week's podcast was helpful to you. Remember, you can subscribe to the Bare Facts on Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dina Bear. Until next week, take care of yourself and be well. Be well.